Hello and welcome to Front Page Radio with your host, international author, broadcaster, and journalist Dan Wooding, the founder of Assist Ministries and the Assist News Service. Dan, who was born in Nigeria of British missionary parents, was raised in England and later worked for some of Great Britain's largest newspapers. He has been a journalist covering the world for some 47 years now with a focus on persecuted Christians and missions. And now, here's Dan Wooding with today's guest. The Eastern world, it is exploding, violence flaring, bullets loading. You're old enough to kill, but not for voting. You don't believe in war, boards that gun you're toting. And even the Jordan River has bodies floating, but you tell me over and over and over again, my friend. I'm sure for many of you, you recognize that piece of music, Eve of Destruction, one of the most well-known uh, anti-war songs of the uh, 60s, and the singer is the one and only Barry Maguire. Barry, thank you for being on the program today. Oh, thank you, Dan. It's great, it's great to just sit and look at you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> now, take us back to those days, Barry. How, how on earth did that song get recorded, and then... I understand something dramatic happened after it was recorded. Well, it's, you know, the song itself, as most things in life, it just happened. It just happened. I wasn't looking to record a hit song. I love to sing. Uh, I love to make people happy. I love to sing songs that people can sing along with. I was in the New Christie Minstrels uh, for three years, four years. We traveled all over the world. Uh, I wrote a song with Randy Sparks, Green Green, which became a big hit. Over in the U.K., we had a huge song, uh, Three Wheels on My Wagon, that became very very famous in the children's program over there. And you used to be on the Andy Williams show regularly? I did, uh, I think, two and a half or three seasons with Andy Williams every week we'd, on his show. And then I left the Christie's because Bob Dylan was writing some songs that really spoke what I felt in my heart. He was writing songs about just social awareness and human hypocrisy and... And I thought, man, I want to sing some Dylan tunes. So I left the Christie's, came and, to... And just set the scene, at that time, America was in total disarray. Well, it was... Yes, it was. Uh, because of Vietnam, what was happening there, because of the, uh, you know, the, the, the black-white separation between black people and the white people and the southern black people, and, you know, it was, it was a mess. I mean, and so there's a lot of pain and a lot of turmoil going on. There were riots in Los Angeles to bring... It was crazy. It was insane. I mean, you, you know, there's really no way to explain. I was in Ireland a few years ago, and there was... Uh, there were people... Irish were killing the Irish because they hated the English. And I thought, <laughs> I thought how stupid is that? I, thought, I said, like in America, black people kill black people because they hate white people. You know, it doesn't make any sense, sure. you know? So you were wanting to sort of do something or sing something that would speak into that situation. I, after I heard Dylan's music and his words, I wanted to sing that kind of stuff, socially aware stuff. So I went to, came out to California, and I uh, met Lou Adler, uh, and he is recording, you know, uh, engineer, artist, uh, what you, producer. 
And he invited me to come. He introduced me to Phil Sloan, who was 19 years old. And he had written Secret Agent Man and Let Me Be and those some really nice tunes that he's written. And But he had a whole notebook full of songs that he, nobody had ever heard before. And one of them was this tune, The Eve of Destruction. And I really liked what it had to say. But Lou Adler wasn't that excited about it. He he didn't think it was going to be that big of a tune. And uh, we had a, a four-hour recording session. We had finished two songs. The third song sounded like the first song. Lou said, let's do something else. And I had the words to Eve in my back pocket, so I pulled them out, you know, all wrinkly, and I smoothed out the wrinkles and put a fold and hung it on the music stand. Yeah. And I said, let's do this Eve of Destruction tune. And Lou says, oh, okay. We only had 20 minutes left in the session, a four-hour session. Yeah. Oh, okay, man. Well, you know, maybe we'll put it on the B side or something. He was not that excited. I said, that's cool. Let's I really like this song. So the band, it's four chords, you know, it's a D, G, A, D, G, A, D, G, B flat minor, and that's the song. So they went through it a couple times, and they said, okay, let's do it. So they pushed the red button, and I was over in the corner with them in the music stand. It was kind of dark there, and it's all in one little studio. It was, we didn't have separate tracks in those days. And so I'm singing into a microphone, and they're playing, and there's a place in the song where I go, ah, you can't twist the truth. And the reason I'm going, ah, is because I lost my place in the wrinkly <laughs> paper, and it was dark. And I wanted to redo the vocal track, but we didn't have time to redo it. There's a band waiting in the hallway to get into the studio. Yeah. So Lou said, we'll come back next week and re-record the, do, redo the vocals. So I went home. That was on a Thursday. Well, Monday morning, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday four days later, the telephone rang at 7 o'clock in the morning, and it was uh, Jay Lasker, who was a co-owner of Dunhill Records. He says, McGuire, turn the radio on, KFWB. And Los Angeles, it was a big rock station at the time, and I turned it on, and there's my song. Ah, you can't do anything. Tell me over and over again. And there it was. I never got to go back in and redo the vocal. So, so there was like a cut there, wasn't there, near the end where you the, just come in? I, I missed the last. Then you tell me. Well, by the time I sang so hard, yeah. by the time I got to the end of this song on the on the one take, I couldn't hear. I flattered that note. I'm going to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so we punched that. That's yeah. the only thing we had. We came. I said, "Man, I totally missed." Well, let's do it. Go do it again. So I yeah. did it again. He punched it, and you can hear the crossover on the punch. Yeah. It was a terrible recording. I mean, it wasn't even a good demo. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I wanted to redo the whole vocal track. Wow. But somebody heard the song on Friday. A guy who owned KFWB. He liked it. He called Lou and says, "If you will mix this and master it, I'll go on it Monday morning as a pick to hit." Wow. And before we knew it, man, it was climbing the charts. It took off like, you know, Cape Canaveral liftoff yeah. and just punched a hole right on up to number one. Yeah. And did it get banned on a lot of stations? A lot, it, they played it for a while, but then all of a sudden people, the older people started hearing it, yeah. and they didn't like it. You know, kids would come home and sing it. What's that? You know, oh, Dad, you got to hear this. And they'd turn the radio on. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> and they said I was a subversive and that I was, you know, a communist uh, infiltrator and, you know. Yeah. And, the song, and they called it a protest song. Yeah. It wasn't protesting anything. It wasn't anything that people didn't already know. It was just a bunch of newspaper headlines yeah. set to a melody. Everybody knew yeah. what was in the song was true because they were living it every day. Yeah. And it was just a song about hypocrisy worldwide, human hypocrisy, you know, military hypocrisy, uh, political hypocrisy, spiritual hypocrisy, industrial hypocrisy, yeah. you know, pharmaceutical hypocrisy. Okay. I mean, just everybody's lying and cheating and stealing from everybody else. Yeah. And I thought, man, we have a terminal case of greed and moral decay. If we don't wake up and address these issues, we're, we're history. The human race is a failed experiment. You know? So what happened? I understand shortly after that you became very seriously ill. 
I I was I was booked to go over to to England and on to uh to the continent to do shows over there and the day before I left I had and uh I so I needed to get penicillin shots. Okay. And so I called my doctor but he'd already left his office to make house calls and we didn't have cell phones in those days or I would have called him on a cell. So the girl I was with said, "Well, why don't you go over to UCLA, take my car and yeah. uh you can get your, your penicillin shots over there." Yeah. So I did. I went over there and went in, told them what was happening. And they said, oh, okay. So they took me in and gave me a big, massive dose of, you know, in each cheek on my bum. Yeah. And I said, thank you very much. And I left and I, you know, walked out to my car. And just as I get in my car, I thought, oh, man, I, got, I, I need to go to the bathroom. Yeah. So I turned around back I went back in and I asked the nurse, I said, is there a men's room? Yeah, it's right down the hall. So I went down there, went into the stall. And and I sat down on the toilet, but I couldn't nothing couldn't happen. Nothing was going on. I thought, What's going? And then I felt nauseous to my stomach. Yeah. I thought, oh, I, I think I'm going to vomit. Wow. So I got up and I got my knees, my pants down around my ankles. I'm on my knees. I got my head in the you know in the toilet, <laughs> and I'm dry. Nothing's coming up. And I'm going. Well, what? And then I started itching all over. Oh God, what's happening? I was got all itchy like I had hives or something. And I thought, what is going on? So I stood up and zipped up and buckled up my pants and went down and back to the nurse's station. I said, nurse, I don't feel very good. And she looked up and went, doctor! (laughs) And they had me on a gurney. They had tubes in my arms, tubes down my nose, and my throat, you know, pumping me clean. They were giving me anti, you know, because I had a massive reaction to penicillin. Oh, boy. And and they called all the student doctors and nurses down because of UCLA Medical Center. And I, I went deaf. I went blind. Oh. I passed out. I, I couldn't breathe. I stopped breathing. They kept resuscitating me, resuscitating me. And I thought, man, that just, just. And and I heard a doctor say, "Are we losing him?" Oh boy. Are we losing him, doctor? And I thought, losing him? It's me they're losing. They're talking about me. I'm dying. Yeah. I'm out of here. And I thought, oh, what a bummer, man. My my song just hit number one. I'm on my way to do this great tour in England and France and, you know, and Italy. And, oh, man, and I'm dying. And then I thought, oh, well, everybody dies sooner or later. And I guess this is my turn. It's been a great trip. And I just let go. I just And, and I remembered I'd had an out-of-body experience, which is a whole other story. And I remembered that, you know, everybody dies, and we just go back to where we came from. You know, there's only two places to be. We're either there or we're here, and when we're not here, we go there. And I thought, well, just let go, McGuire, and this is it. And I relaxed, and I let go, and I died. But I woke up the next morning. (laughs) I'm back. (laughs) But did your heart actually stop? Well, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I just know that I died, died, you know. And it's really, you know, it's interesting when you think about it. When you die, the only the only difference between going to sleep at night and dying mm-hmm. is, is only two differences. When you go to sleep at night, you wake up in the morning. Mm. But when you die, you don't wake up. Yeah. Now, if you go to sleep at night and you die while you're asleep, you don't know you died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know? Yeah. And if when you die, you don't know if you're going to wake up or not. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just as easy as you just inhale, you exhale, yeah. and you go to sleep. Yeah. You know, so it's like because of my experience with that, it just has totally released me from all fear of dying. Yeah. I have absolutely no, when the time comes, it's just as, it's just as natural and normal as being born. So how, how did it resolve itself then? 
I, I, I just woke up the next morning. My, they had tubes in my arms, my forearms. I looked like Popeye. I had big, huge bags of m- fluid in my arms, and yeah. you know, and I was all groggy. And but I caught my plane that night and flew yeah. back to New York. And next day, I did the Johnny Carson show, and then I went on to England. And that's great. You know, I mean, it was a a, a near death experience. Yeah. yeah. Moving uh, back again, I think that uh, you were very much involved in. Uh, getting uh, the mamas and the papas involved with Lou Adler, uh-huh. and they were your backing group on initially on California Dreaming. Tell us a story. They had just come out from uh, New York. They'd been in the Virgin Islands, you know, just eating LSD and smoking <laughs> a lot of dope and writing songs. And and uh, they came out to California, greasing on an American Express card is the term they use in Creaky Alley, you know. <laughs> And they were looking for a recording contract. Well, Eva Destruction had just, you know, come off number one. I was back from my trip in Europe, and I was working on my second album. And and Cass Elliot you know, called me on the phone and said, Hey, McGuire, well, I'm out here with some friends. We've got some great songs. you got to hear them. So I went up to Cassie's house, and I heard their music. And I thought it was the most incredible thing I'd ever heard. So I called Lou right there, and I said, you've got to hear these guys. He said, well, bring them. We're doing an album. He said, bring him to the studio tomorrow, and I'll listen to him." So I took him to the studio. Lou heard him. He signed him on the spot, and they were all flat broke. They didn't have a penny. And he said, why don't we let them do the background vocals on this album so they can make some money to live on it so we can do their album? And I said, that's great. Well, California Dreamin' was going to be my next single release. And they did the background vocals. So I did all the leaves are brown and the mamas and papas, all the leaves are brown and the sky is gray and the sky is gray. Well, when they heard the playback, they went, whoa, man, because they weren't doing the counterpoint. They were just singing the straight songs. But when they were doing background vocals for me, they did all the counterpoints of Monday, 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 the background vocals. And so when they heard that, they thought, man, that's the sound we want. So... John uh, Phillips took me out in the hallway and he says, you know, we'd really like to release California Dream as our first single. Would it be okay with you? And I said, well, John, you wrote the song. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I said, then you can buy the grass because I was <laughs> supplying everybody with marijuana. They were all broke. So they, and I didn't know this until, oh, 30 years, 20 years later, 25 years later. My son one time, he was about 14 years old. He's got a CD player in his bedroom. He's listening to the best of mamas and papas, but his right channel didn't work because all he got was the left channel, you know, on a stereo system. And on the left track on the stereo record, you can hear my voice going, all the leaves, and then it's gone. <laughs> he says, that sounds like you, Dad. I said, that is me. This is my track. They used my track. They took my voice off, and then John and, and Denny did the vocals, you know. And and they released it. I didn't know that all those years that the big hit song. So my so when I'm in concert and I tell this story, I ask the audience, uh, you know, I said, what is the first uh, karaoke song that ever made it to a number one spot in the music business? You know, and nobody knows. Of course, I said, well, it's California Dreaming because they sang karaoke to my track, and I never got paid for it. You know. <laughs> So I used to write Diddy and, and John about it all the time. Then now they're both dead and gone, and I don't have anybody to tease anymore. <laughs> well, we're speaking with the one and only Barry Maguire. And, Barry, um, your story is so incredible. Barry's really 
very busy because his life, he's now 75, is so extraordinary and we don't really have time to even just touch on it. But one of the great stories out of this was when you first started reading Good News for Modern Man and that was the beginning of a spiritual turnaround. But that was also involved with taking uh, grass, was it? Well, I, I uh, started a spiritual search when I was in the Christie Minstrels and we used to, you know, Every day was it was that's how we got through the days. We'd smoke marijuana and and uh, it would just mellow us out. So we could it was airplanes every day, shows every night, motels, hotels, planes, trains and automobiles, and it became such a grind. Somebody introduced us to grass and it just took the it took the edge off the day. We just float through the days. <laughs> and my friend Paul and I, we would we got together and we started asking all, well, what are we? What is a human being? What is this hunk of meat we live in? Yeah. You know, I mean, human being, that's like two things, human, animal, being, spirit. So what is this spiritual entity that's riding inside of this human animal? It's like a spirit is having an, an animal experience, you know. And and so when we got a hold of this book called uh, Man's Presumptuous Brain, and it's how the brain works and how the psyche works and about psychosomatic diseases. You know, most of the diseases that human beings have are psychosomatic. If you change the way they think, then their body chemistry changes, and they'll either get sick or they'll get healthy. If you believe you're going to die, like in voodooism, if you think yeah. you've been cursed, well, you'll die because you <laughs> believe you're going to die. You right, know. Right. And so we started this spiritual journey, this search for spiritual truth. I uh, left the Christie's and uh, wound up doing hair on Broadway because I thought hair was a a statement of spiritual truth that we are, you know, spiritual beings living in these biological envelopes, and spirit is neither black, white, old, young, male, female. Spirit is something else, and Ooh. you know. But it, the, the, what we were promoting, the lifestyle we were promoting over a 10-year period, I lost 16 of my friends through drug overdose and suicide and sexually transmitted diseases. They died. Can you name some of them? Jim Morrison, uh, Cass Elliott, uh, Ho Hoyt Axton, Jimi Hendrix. Uh, just, just so many people, you know, that and a lot of the people don't know, you know, that weren't in show business, but they were people who worked around yeah. in the, in the scenes. Yeah, uh, the guy who wrote Hair, uh, one of them, Jerry Ragney, just so many people, mm. you know, uh, uh, people who worked in the cast of Hair are gone now. Yeah. And and so I, something was wrong. The, the philosophy that we were promoting, something was missing. Mm. So here you are, you go on a spiritual search. Now, I love this story about how you come across this good news for modern man. I, I uh, left here on Broadway, came out to California. I was living with Denny Doherty up at his house. And, and, and Eric, he's one of the mamas and papas. Yeah, pa Papa well. Denny, yeah. And they had a guitar player, Eric Hord, and he and I got together, and we put together this little band called the Pure Food and Drug Act. We thought that was <laughs> a great name for a band in the 60s. And we were working at the Whiskey A Go Go, and one night I came out, and there's a guy sitting on the sidewalk, and he's got this cross that's about 10 feet long and 7 feet wide. And I said, Hey, what's happening? And he just looked at me, he said, Jesus. And that's all he said, just one uh, word. Yeah. And I just went, Oh, wow. And I ran around the corner and just left him. But a few weeks later, up at Denny's house, I went down. He already had a bowl of marijuana under the coffee table, and I had a bowl out, and I'm rolling. I got three papers glued together, and I'm rolling a big joint. And, <laughs> and I looked down, and there's this little paperback book on the table. that says, Good News for Modern Man. Yeah. And I thought, well, what is this? And like, I'm rolling my joint. I'm thinking, I'm a modern man. <laughs> well, and I could use some good news. All my friends are dying. Yeah. So I took it to my room with me and opened it up. And right on the first flyleaf page, it says, The New Testament in modern English. Mm. 
And I thought, you know, oh, man, I didn't want to read the Bible. I wanted to read yeah. something, you know, interesting. But just out of bored, sarcastic curiosity, I thought, well, what's this Jesus thing all about anyway? Mm. And I started to read. For the first time in my life, I stopped looking at Christianity. I stopped looking at all of the stuff that goes on in his name, you know. Yeah. The, 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 the <laughs> We, we jokingly say the, the funless Dementalists, you know. <laughs> There's not much fun in the Dementalists, you know. But, uh, and, and I've stopped looking at all the TV evangelism and all the stuff that goes on in the name of Jesus that has very little to do with the love that Christ talked about. Yeah. And I took a look at him. And he said, they asked him what the greatest commandment was. And he said, well, he says, there's two. He says, love God with all your heart. Which is really, you think about it, it's the first four commandments. Yeah, yeah. He says, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is the next six. Yeah. So those <laughs> those two little commandments that he yeah. gave sum up the whole Ten Commandments. Uh, love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And I realized that this was the answer I was looking for. And I wanted to be like Christ. Mm. I thought, this is my guy. But then I looked at Christianity and thought, but I don't want to be like them. <laughs> oh, man, I cannot do this. I can't become one of them. And yet I wanted to be like Jesus. Yeah. And I wrestled with it for nearly a year, Dan. I mean, it was just really, a, what am I going to do? And I have a friend up in Oakland. He, he's a preacher. He said one time, he said, you know, when you've been, once you've been busted by the truth, you've been busted. <laughs> and you can't fake it anymore. You can't go around and say, well, who really knows? Because you know. <laughs> And I knew yeah. that Christ had paid my debt, that yeah. he, had, he had written in his own blood a, a royal pardon, Ooh. sins paid for in full, and signed his name, Jesus Christ, at the bottom. Wow. And I had a pardon in one hand and a number in the other. Yeah. You know, and 16 of my friends had already gone down the hall. Their number had been called. Yeah. You know, so what am I going to do? You know, throw the pardon away and wait for them to call my number? Yeah. Or throw the number away and take that pardon, which I did, and fold it up and tuck it in my heart yeah. and stood up and walked out a, a free man. That's what, you, know. now you, you not only helped to launch the, uh, the Mamas and the Papas, but weren't you involved also with second chapter of Acts? When I, after I came to know the Lord, and uh, I stopped singing for about a year, and then songs started coming just about my relationship with Christ and what I was discovering it's an eternally growing process. You know, things that I used to think in those days, I don't think anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, my wife and I came up with, when does a stumbling, when, when does a stepping stone become a stumbling block? Mm. It's when you refuse to take the next step. Yeah. You know, and truth is revealed. Every day is brand new. Every day is brand new. You know, Christ said that he would send the comforter to live within us and lead us into the fullness of truth. You know, well, every day we see new things. We, understand, we have greater awareness, understanding of who Christ is. Like the other day, somebody asked me if I was still walking with Jesus. And I said, no, I don't walk with Jesus anymore. I don't follow Jesus anymore. I don't walk with Jesus anymore. They said, you don't? I said, no. I said, I walk in Jesus. <laughs> said, well, that was a revelation for me. See, to walk in Christ. Yeah. Not to walk with Him or follow Him, but to walk in Christ. And Christ walks in me. Yeah. And when you're walking in somebody, you don't get distracted. When you're yeah. walking with somebody, you can get distracted and stumble off the path for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but when you're walking in somebody, like Paul says, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Sure. And I just watched Jesus, this interview right now. Yeah. You know, this is not my story. It's His story, yeah. you know. So, second chapter of Acts. Ah, second chapter. So, I, I, I got, had these songs, and people are saying, you, gotta, you should make a record. And I met a guy, Buck Herring, 
and uh, he was a record producer. Yeah. And I said, I got these tunes that I think I sh- I'd like to record them. And he said, well, come over to the house, and I'll like, give him a listen. So I went over, and I met him and his wife and her two, her brother and sister. And they, she played the piano, Annie did, and Matthew and Nellie sang and harmonized harmonies like I'd never heard before in my life. And so they wound up doing background vocals for me. I did an album called Seeds and another one called Lighten Up. And then they did their first album, you know, my, uh, uh, the... Uh, Second chapter of Acts, and after they did the first album, they were off and running. I, yeah. I never yeah. saw them again. <laughs> I mean, I did. We, in fact, we toured together for about a year and a half. We, yeah. you know, I introduced them to the audiences of the United States. I took them to Europe with me, and yeah. but they became so huge that, uh, you know, that they didn't need to have me on the bill anymore. And they had their own. And I wanted to go sing my songs, and they sure. wanted to sing their songs. It was time. It was like a tree grows up and a branch comes off and, and then you, you split. Yeah. You're still rooted to the same root, yeah. but there's now the tree, instead of having one trunk, it's got two branches going yeah. off. You know, so. Well, we've been speaking with Barry McGuire, and Barry is now 75 and still performing. Uh, he's here in Orange County for a uh, special concert uh, put on by Upper Room Ministries. And, um, Barry, we've got like a minute left. Uh, looking back on your life... Would you have done anything differently? Well, you know, I, I could say yes, I would have. But the truth of it is, is, you know, without coming the way I came, I wouldn't be who I am today. Mm-hmm. You know, without the, my wife the other day told our granddaughter, most of life is learning what not to do. Yeah, yeah. And how do you learn what not to do unless you do it? Yeah. And then you go, oh, that was the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. I never want to do that again. <laughs> so you learn from it, you know. Oh, yeah. So all the mistakes I made... And the, and the things that I've experienced in my life are what have formed me into the person I am today and given me the perspective I have today. Yes, yes. So I, I know I wouldn't change a thing. No. I wouldn't change a thing. Now, if you'd like to know more about Barry, um, we've hardly even touched the surface today. Go to <laughs> www.barrymaguire.com. Yeah. You can find his singing schedule, all about his different albums. And, Barry, I just want to thank you so much for being on the program. Oh, thank you, Dan. It's just great to see you again. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Front Page Radio with international journalist Dan Wooding. If you would like a free subscription to the Assist News Service, log on to www.assistnews.net. And if you would like to write to Dan, send an email to assistnews at aol.com. Tune in again for another edition of Front Page Radio on this same station.